0: this is queer histories queer futures presented by last call a podcast about queer resistance in new orleans and the people behind the movement
1: i'm free for all and i'm lane Kaplan levinson Welcome back
0: to your Homo Away from Homo, the Last Call podcast returns for season two. Thank you so much for being here with us. Um, I'm Free for All, and you might remember me as the host and producer of season one, uh, which I hosted and produced with my friend Rachel Lee. And um, we are back with season two. Last season, we were talking about the dyke bar scene in New Orleans from the 70s through the 90s, Um, and as some of you probably are aware, um, other folks in our organization made a play called Alleged Lesbian Activities based on those interviews, and that play is uh, starting a multi-city tour coming up, um, which you'll have more information on soon soon. And um, also part of this same organization, Last Call, we conducted a workshop that we called Queer Histories, Queer Futures, which was uh, training people to take oral history and then to turn oral history interviews into radio pieces. Um, So I taught that workshop with our other new, exciting, shiny, brand new
1: voice in the room. Yes, I am more than just a fake foghorn. <laughs> I'm a real boy. Uh, hi, Free. Thank you for introducing me. And hello, y'all. My name is Lane Kaplan-Levinson, and I'm so excited to be part of this project. Uh, I've been part of this project since coming on to do this uh, workshop facilitation with Free and got to know a bunch of folks that are interested in podcasting. I host a podcast on the New Orleans public radio station here. And so uh, it was only natural to team up and work on this together this season. So I'm really, really excited to be here.
0: We're happy to have you, Lane.
1: Yeah. I feel so loved. Dude, Um, so we have to get down
0: to business. Okay. Ha- have you seen The Matrix? Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life.
1: I have seen The Matrix three times. Uh-huh. And I have gone from not caring about that movie at all to uh, loving that movie. So it's funny that you mentioned that. It's, uh, it's something that I probably still couldn't tell you most scenes in it, mm. but I know that I love it and I would watch it any day of the week. Uh, well, I
0: bring it up because you know it's a see- it's a movie about destiny. Mm-hmm. And did you get to that? Oh, okay.
2: Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. That there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Like a splinter in your mind
1: driving you mad, that's deep, yeah, that's deep,
0: yeah, the matrix is really deep I,
1: I would expect no less from any any clip from that film, but yeah that's uh that's real so what so what made you think of that when when thinking about our first storyteller? Well, um, so Wendy
0: Moore O'Neill is a community activist from New Orleans, and she runs Jalia Consulting, where she uses freedom singing story circles and group facilitation to share civil rights history, culture, and traditions. And um, that work comes to her through her family legacy, through the community that she grew up in. Her father was a field agent for SNCC, and her mother also worked in activist circles, Um, and so by the time she was organizing, it was just like the natural thing for her to do, even though it wasn't necessarily being told to her that she should be doing it. It just was like, kind of happened very organically for her. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's like watching
1: someone cook for years and then being like, oh, I somehow know how to do this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or like, or like singing. It also makes me think of singing because like singing is one of those things that people do without like realizing that they're training Mm. and they just do it. And then they find out that they're really good at it at some point, sometimes, you know? Right. Um, So I think that's, well, I think that that's all very apparent in Wendy's story, um, which uh, came from an interview that was done by Indy Mitchell and Natalina Falk, who you'll also be hearing from in this piece. Mm. Um, And, uh, and that's about it. Enjoy.
2: My name is Wendy Moore O'Neill. I was born in 1974, and at Sarah Mayo Hospital, and um, I spent my early childhood in between Mid-City and Tremay, and then we moved around quite a bit my mom was a teacher and then an entrepreneur and then went on to do like uh, accounting she always did accounting for my dad's organizations when they were together and um my dad is a theater maker and a former field secretary with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which always which had ended long before I came along but was always very influential in our family life, is still influential in my life now. Um, so I mean I The people I grew up around were, I think, people who saw themselves as in resistance to the dominant culture. Not all of them had been members, formal members of organizations. Some of them were the spouses of people who were members of organizations, and some of them were uh, just rabble-rousers who weren't in formal organizations, but did things to desegregate, like Mandeville High School um, and stuff like that. Okay, so I, when I was at Spelman, like I said, I wasn't really sure that I was a lesbian. I just knew I was, I I realized I was attracted to my roommate, which was very embarrassing because she was the only white person on campus at the time. (laughs) And I could not believe it. I was so embarrassed. I was like, I am in the one place on the planet. That has more eligible bachelors <laughs> than I will ever be with in my life. And not only do I decide that I don't want any of them, the most eligible black men on the planet. Educated, fine black men. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Morehouse Mystique. And what not. <laughs> not only do I this, Not only that, I'm at Spelman College. Yes. Where the first warm day. Let me tell you what happened on the first warm day. What happened on the first warm day? <laughs> it's like, can't you feel a brand new day from the wig? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when they unzipped themselves. <laughs> be like, hallelujah, (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. you know, the spring in in Atlanta. For me at the time, I never really thought being queer was such a big deal. Exactly. I just noticed that if you challenged homophobia, that was a big deal. (laughs) Like, people weren't really into that. (laughs) And even the most down, Hotep, we call them now. But at the time, I call them blue black Africans. Like, even the blue black Africans would all of a sudden be clutching their pearls and stumbling over liberation if you were challenging things that that challenged patriarchy and the ways that patriarchy and capitalism defined what blackness is. That's what I noticed. And so I kinda liked Stepping on that key. You know. Can you give spot. us like an example like Well, <laughs> so just being around, for example. Like being visible as black queers really seem to be offensive. <laughs> so you know, I just didn't fit in. You know, from freshman week. From the even before school started. that's what was going on when I started taking women's studies classes and I was just so excited to discover this whole world of black feminism and the thing about it was how all of these women I had known from the Black Panther Party or the Pan-Africanist Movement or SNCC it's like I never really noticed they were women, even though they, I had noticed them because I had an affinity towards women when I was mm-hmm. like growing up. And I was always like, these are sisters, you know. Then like I'm learning about all of them naming their womanhood as an important part of their challenge to white supremacy and their feminism as an important part of their challenge to white supremacy. And that it's not race or gender, it's race, class, and gender. That was just being written about in this kind of third wave of feminism. I think it was actually the crowning achievement of my life. Which is kind of sad, because um, many years have happened between now and then. And I didn't think about it that way at the time. But I helped the co-found a group called the Lesbian Bisexual Women's Alliance at Spelman College. And we were one of the first that people remember. I don't think being the first is all that... I think it's kind of a sad thing. Yeah. but. At the same time, it's something I feel a great pride and honor about, because we weren't the first lesbians or bisexuals or queers, as found by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Many would say it was founded by lesbians, but we were the first to, like, we literally we were like, what do we call our group? The Lesbian Bisexual <laughs> Women's Alliance. Were you at Spelman College? She yeah. Opened me up, like, yes. the world, and right? we were. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We named ourselves the Lesbian <laughs> um, Bisexual Women's <laughs> Alliance at Spelman College, <laughs> LBA for short. Amongst ourselves, there's a group that's still around now. It's called Africities, and when we left, the new students who were taking leadership, we're like one of the problems, reasons why people don't come, is because it's called the Lesbian Bisexual Women's Alliance. We should call it Afriki. Aren't y'all necrosis? I mean, don't you know that we don't call ourselves lesbians? And I was like, no, but this is your group now and do whatever you want. (laughs) And so, And I'm really proud that they're still there. We were a chartered organization at the college, which meant we we could get access to money to go to conferences and stuff, and to pay for drinks and copies, and that we could be in the student handbook so that when people were looking at the school, they would know, yeah, there's a group here. That was our whole point. What we found when we tried to charter our little organization was that there was a fair amount of resistance to us being chartered. And we were like, surprised. We didn't really expect there to be any resistance to us being chartered? to
0: tell you the
2: truth. That was right as the evangelical church had really, really targeted the black church. There was such a huge push of evangelicalism that shifted from the love ethic of the black church for the first time, I think, in the history of the black church, which was coming out of a push on the part of strategists like Newt Gingrich, who were right there, you know, where we were in the the Bible belt, manipulating black congregations. I really think dangling money like for larger churches. You know, everybody got a building fund and they was fattening up those building funds. So then you had black churches that were all of a sudden um, owning not just major properties for their church buildings, but also malls and uh, apartment complexes so we didn't know all of that when we were trying to get our little group chartered so we could get some drinks and go we wanted to go to the Black Leadership Forum Conference in California and be able to put signs up and in order to put signs up so that people would come to our meetings. There were just two of us when we started. You had to be able to have the Student Government Association sign off on your flyer and in order for that to happen, you had to be chartered. So we were trying to challenge the strategy of the evangelical church. You know what I'm saying? We were just trying to get some drinks and put our flyers up and we, they just came at us so hard you know our, our school motto is our whole school for Christ so there were these our whole school for Christ clubs, there was the Christian club I can't remember what they called they might have called themselves the evangelical Christian club I don't remember they were just nasty and they were brutal and cruel you know all we had to do was show up (laughs) and people would meet us with whatever had been spoon fed to them by people who were trying to get them to vote against their own self interest it was like you talking the same mess that Jerry Falwell was talking Don't that make you wonder? When you think about who are, where are you getting this homophobia from? Who does it serve? Does it serve you? People were like, we can't have no lesbians getting money from the school. And I was just like, that don't even make no sense. Like I paid to so come here. I just signed my name on some student loans just like <laughs> your daddy wrote a check. So <laughs> we got the right to be here. You don't have to like it, but you don't have to come. <laughs> it ain't got nothing to do with how Christian you are. In fact, if you was Christian, You'd be able to be, to tolerate it, <laughs> you know, so I don't, I think you are misinformed and don't understand your faith. That was right as song was growing too. Song came around in like 90, something like that you know and this is something and organized and on the yeah and so they were forming as we were forming and one of the women who was an advisor to us at the LBA her name is Joan Garner she's actually since passed away but she was one of the women who co-founded Song as they were shaping their work that was a lot of our support at the LBA, And part of how they supported us is they did a lot of education to help us to understand the context that we were in and why people were being so resistant. <laughs> So we ended up doing this month long series on. The Lesbian Bisexual Alliance presents a panel discussion on spirituality, a cross cultural look at ancient, colonial, and contemporary religions in the diaspora that have been gay, lesbian, Bisexual and Transgender Inclusive, a critique of the violent language used against the queer community and women in the Black Christian Church. All are welcome. This will be a three-part series. So, so we did it every Monday at Sisters Chapel at 8 p.m. And the last week in the month, we brought black bisexual (laughs) professor Dr. Ilyas Farahazi Jones and his area of study was black African diasporic spiritualities and sexualities um, including pre-colonial something something and that, that just blew my mind when we met him and so we were like will you come and talk because they're always trying to tell us that we white and so he came and agreed to do it for a bucket of chicken <laughs> you know and, and he was there for something else somebody else had covered his plane ticket and whatnot. so we just gave him some chicken and some dip and treated him really nice and he came and spoke at Sister Chapel, and this was in 1994. Shout out to y'all doing that in 1994, like right? What is like? What did it? What did it mean to be like um, trans inclusive, like yeah. in that time? Well, it just meant us. Oh, welcome. All right, All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what we were like. Well, this is we, and they'd be like, well, you can't. Be here because we're Christian. And I was like, well, many of our members are Christian too, but actually, we have done more to protect the civil rights of black people by just being here than you are. And we have the blessings of Uncle Ed and these SNCC folks, what are you doing Mm. (laughs) to make this place better? And they were like, WHITE! You know, we knew about what racism is and could see how this was even reinforcing some racist stereotypes about Black people that black people couldn't be whoever black people be and that that was just based in some racist assumptions and limitations and dictates about who we could be and so we were like we free so we just be who we is and not who we is not and apparently some of us is like this <laughs> you know so handle it
1: Wendy recently released a documentary called This Little Light, which chronicles her process of seeking justice and making peace when she was unconstitutionally fired for marrying her wife, Mandisa, who you'll be hearing from in the next episode. The film has been featured in festivals all over the country, including the Smithsonian African American Film Festival. It is still
0: making its way around the country. It's a beautiful film. I highly recommend it. To learn more, please visit
1: thislittlelightfilm.com. This episode was produced by my trusty co-host, Free For All. Me. And Free, you did the music as well, didn't you? Yeah. You just couldn't help yourself. No. (laughs) Great job. Thanks.
0: This project was created in partnership with the New Orleans LGBT Center and Alternate Roots through an Alternate Roots Partners in Action grant
1: and through a Network of Ensemble Theater's Net10 Exchange grant. Additional funding from the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation. Last Call is fiscally sponsored by the National Performance Network. Love you, Free. I love you, Lane. And you know, dear listener, we love you too. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. We only have one message to leave you with, and that is until next time, stay stay gay. gay.